Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 187, where we bring Tiffany Alice back again to talk about getting good with money. From that space, I've been able to build, you know, multi-million dollar companies. From that foundational space, I've been able to, to go on and, and donate you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars from that space. I've been able to help millions of, especially um, women get and stay on financial track. And that's why I wrote Get Good With Money because I wanted people to have access to, it's, it's not a magic trick or tool, but to access to how do I build such a strong financial foundation that I can build whatever financial house I want to moving forward. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my needs to stand just a bit closer to the razor co-host, Scott Trench. I almost stumbled to come up with a response to that one. (laughs) That was a close shave, Mindy. (laughs) That is not a close shave, Scott. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time in assets like real estate, or start your own business, or build a huge business with a huge financial goal like Tiffany, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am so excited to bring Tiffany back on. I love her story. I love the way she tells her story and her excitement that the the way she tells her story today is just, oh, if you needed to wake me up, this will wake you up. Tiffany has some high level goals and is crushing them at every turn. And she has written a new book called Get Good With Money, 10 Simple Steps to Becoming Financially Whole. And I really love her phrase, financially whole, financially whole whole doesn't mean that you are fixing one section of your finances. It means that you're fixing all the sections of your finances. And Tiffany takes you step-by-step through the different ways that you can fix your finances to become financially whole. Yeah, this is a great, a great episode. She just got going and it was amazing. She is just a brilliant, um, seasoned executive, has a crazy story from rags to riches, you know, yeah, being financially savvy, getting into a bad situation, and then getting really, you know, really on top of it and building a huge, a huge business. It was fun interviewing her and listening to her, her story and her obsession with success, personal finance, wealth building, business. We had a great time. You're going to as well. Let's let her roll. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. 
It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Tiffany Alice, welcome back to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm always so excited to talk to you. <laughs> I love that you guys have me back. Thank you so much, Mindy. Thank you, Scott. I love being, I feel like I'm a regular now. That's right. <laughs> you are. I'm I, like think cheers. I think you're our norm. first three-time guest. <laughs> oh, okay. Which is nice. Um, okay. So, Tiffany, you are a master of all things money and finance. But where your budget Nista story starts, you were a financial disaster. Yes. You had a lot of shame over your situation, and that caused you to withdraw from friends and basically from life. What mm-hmm. would you say to 30-year-old Tiffany going through all of this financial horribleness and to others who are listening who are feeling ashamed of the financial situation they're in? How do you get you to stop feeling bad about a mistake that you've made? So two things. I'll say, get you a Linda, and I'll explain what that means in a minute, and I'll say shame is a liar. So the way I was able to go from like this secretive shame when it came to my money was that my best friend Linda, who'd been trying to reach out to me for months after I'd lost my job, after I'd lost all my money, after I'd been scammed into $35,000 of credit card debt, after I couldn't afford my mortgage and had to move back home at 30. So I was at the bottom of the bottom. I remember literally looking up at the ceiling from my middle school bed saying, you know, you had more money at 16 than you do at 30, right? Like in total, I'm talking about retirement, savings, pennies in my purse. Like it just was like shame on top of shame. So Linda called me after trying to get me on the phone for some months and 
I was gonna pretend like everything was okay, that I was just busy. Um, but you know, your best friend knows you best. And she was like, no, what's really wrong? I burst into tears and told her I lost everything. <laughs> you know, just the, like the litany of all of my financial mistakes. And she kind of was like, wait, what? That's it? And I remember thinking, I'm sorry. That's not enough trauma for you? And she was like, well, one, welcome to credit card debt. Girl, we've been in our 20s for the last 10 years. We all have it. You were the only one who had avoided it. So that's one. Two, welcome to the Great Recession. Hello, we all are jobless. Like, you know. And three, I'm talking to you from my mother's house, where I now live as well. <laughs> and so <laughs> I <laughs> so I decided that I was like the only person in the world who was struggling through this. Cause I felt like 30 was when you're supposed to be like your full, full grown self. So one, I always say, get you a Linda, meaning finding a safe space to share your shame. And two, it's really to share your shame. So I have a friend um, and she's a coach and she's also a therapist. And she shared with me, this is why shame is so detrimental. It's a very dangerous emotion because shame is a liar. Shame doesn't say, hey, Tiffany, you made a mistake. Shame says, hey, Tiffany, you are a mistake. So she's like, shame is really deceptive. Shame thrives in shadow. Shame thrives in fear. Shame thrives in silence. Shame loves it when you're alone. And the only antidote to shame is voice. And the reason why I was able to start the process of cleaning myself up financially is because I told Linda my shame and shame receded. And then I shared it some more and it receded some more and it shared it some more and receded some more. And I have not stopped sharing my shame you know, and I don't feel shameful about it anymore because I give voice to it. So find yourself a Linda, a safe space and give your shame voice in a safe space so you can then see the solutions that are there in front of you. I promise you they're there. How long were, was this going on until Linda came around and you were able to confront it? Was it was, did, was there a hard pivot point or was that kind of early on in the... No, it was a, it was a, like a year and a half, honestly. So if you're thinking to yourself like, oh, a few months, no, it was, I would say just under two years of me, like maybe just like getting her, she'd get me on the phone and I would talk for two minutes and pretend like I was busy or just wouldn't pick up the phone for months. So I spent about almost two years in this kind of like funk where like, I just didn't want to talk to anyone because I didn't want to admit that because I was like the go-to money girl for my friends. Until about the age of 26, I was financially perfect. Great credit score, savings, budget. I was like the go-to because I learned at home. My father was a CFO and an accountant, and he really literally would have money lessons with myself and my four sisters. And so I, that's how I identified myself. And the thing that I identified myself as the go-to money girl and a teacher, I was an actual teacher in the classroom, those things were gone. So I didn't know who I was. So it was, yeah, just under two years that I lived in that funk until finally, you know, Linda kind of forced her way through. But um, now I realized that I used it as a tool. It's the reason, Scott, like why I started my, my group, Dreamcatchers. You know, like it's this free Facebook group. There's half a million of us in there. It's filled with Lindas because I know everyone doesn't have a Linda in their life. You know, maybe it's your mom, maybe not. You know, maybe it's your sister, maybe not. But if not, I wanted to create a safe space where you can get empathy, sympathy, normal normalization of the process and accountability. When you're going through something like this and you're thinking, oh, I can't talk to anybody because I'm so ashamed of this. That's the time to start talking to people, because like Linda said, mm -hmm. oh, is that it? Like <laughs> it, it? That's all you can think of. So you're just like cycling it through your head. But 
you're not alone. Nobody who is listening to this mm-hmm. has ever made a mistake that somebody else hasn't made. Like mm-hmm. I, I convinced <laughs> coincidentally enough, my money mistake was also named Jack and he's not in my life anymore. And it wasn't quite to the level that you were, but I still learned a lot. Don't give money to somebody just for their benefit. Yeah. So what, what Mindy's talking about is Jack the Thief. He's inside my book. That's not his real name. His name is very unique. Oh, so if I were okay. to say it, yes, you'd be able to Google it and see that he's now sitting in federal prison. Good. Mm-hmm. Yes. And not because of what he did to me, but because he continued his scamming and decided to level up to the federal government and they have more resources than I do. Um, <laughs> so Jack the Thief, yes, he was an air quotes friend and that left me $35,000 in credit card debt right before the Great Recession. So it was just like this accumulation of, of, of choices that I made that just turned into this fireball of, of financial um, messiness and drama and trauma. Um, but I'm glad because I rose like a phoenix from the ashes and I started the Budget Nista and I created a movement to really help people move from you know financial brokenness to financial wholeness. So in the book, you have this quote that I think is just amazing. Getting good with money is about mastering the fundamentals, not magic. And on this show, time and again, we interview people who have a boring story. But the boring (laughs) stories are also the ones that are the most successful ones. And of course, it would have been fantastic to be able to invest with Jack the Thief into, uh, he had a clothing store. Tiffany was going to fund his inventory, and then she was going to get a 10% repayment on her initial investment for uh, every month for perpetuity. Two years. Mm -hmm. Oh, for two years. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. so that's flashy and sexy and fun. But that doesn't always work out. In fact, most of the time, flashy and sexy and fun doesn't work out. And it's great mm-hmm. to be like, Bitcoin right now is at, I don't know, $100 million an ounce or whatever, however you, per coin. <laughs> Clearly, I don't invest That's in exactly Bitcoin. Right. I don't know anything about it. I don't invest in it. I'm totally <laughs> cool okay. with that. But that sounds really sexy and fun. And I think a lot of people are hesitant to jump in because it sounds, there's red flags. How do you separate fact from fiction? How do you, how many red flags are too red flag, too many red flags? And, you know, is there such a thing as get rich quick? For the most part, it is possible to get rich quick, but very rare that it's going to be you. It's like, it is possible to be struck by lightning, but it's not that common. I mean, how many people do you know? They're like, oh yeah, last week, woo, that lightning, you know? <laughs> so it is possible because there are people who, you know, when when GameStop was like, you know, at its fever pitch, they put money in and pulled money out. So I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's very, it's not probable for most people. So I don't want you to bet on the improbable. I want you to go for what's most likely to happen and navigate from that space. So I'll say that. So a red flag, one, if it seems too good to be true, because really you think to myself, so Jack the Thief told me, hey, Tiffany invest this $20,000. And at the end of two years, it's going to yield like 200,000. So 20,000 to 200,000 in two years, possible, yes, probable, not so much. So if it sounds too good to be true, it likely is. That's one. Two, if you don't feel comfortable sharing it with the people that you trust, Red flag. Like, I didn't tell my father. Miss, He has a, a bachelor's in economics and a master's in finance. And like, just like years and years and years and years and years as a CFO. I mean, I don't know anybody who knows more about money than my father. He's 80 and still is like, let me see your tax return. This is not how you do this. 
<laughs> you know? And so I didn't want to tell him because I was like, la, 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 la. I don't want him to hate on my parade because what could he possibly know that my 20 something year old self could not have figured out? <laughs> so if you don't feel comfortable singing it from the rooftop to the people that you trust, mm, Houston, we have a problem. And then three, there are usually signs. So what Jack the Thief had me do uh, was to pull money off of my credit card as a cash advance. And I'd never heard of that before. And so when I went to the bank to get the money, they literally sat me down for like 45 minutes quizzing me. Is someone threatening you? Are you okay? Are you, you would think I'd be like, who? This seemed like odd questions for a legal transaction. Are you sure? Because I was still a preschool teacher then. And as a preschool teacher then, we used to have to wear um, like nurse's smock so we wouldn't get our clothes dirty, right? So here I was in my teddy bear nurse smock pulling out $20,000 at the bank from a cash advance from a card I just opened. So they were looking at me like, who is this young girl? What's going on? And you would think it was like, like, you know, caution, caution. And so those are the things. So Yes, if you can't share it, if it's too good to be true, and you get these kind of like little nods along the way, they're like, hmm, that seems odd. Those are red flags to really lean into. Yeah, the only too good to be true investment out there is the house hack, whereby you get you, yeah, <laughs> that, that's where you get the 200% ROI. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you're still putting money into that house hack. That's not just, I bought a house for a dollar and it makes me a million dollars. That is a red yes. flag. Well, so I don't think that you always have to be 100% conservative with your investing. But I Agreed. think the amount that you are gambling on should mm -hmm. be extremely small relative to your net worth. So I'm going to put Scott on the spot here because he does invest in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Compared to your net worth, what percentage of your money is in Bitcoin, Scott? Oh, less than a quarter of my cash position. Again, I don't think of it as an investment. I think of it as a hedge against inflation where, hey, I'm gonna take if I'm gonna have an emergency reserve of a year or two years, I, I have a two-year emergency reserve because I wrote a book called Set for Life and Feel that it would be very embarrassing to go broke after writing such a book. Um, <laughs> I have one year, so I feel so <laughs> you just got minus one year. And I'm like, I'm pushing for two years. My CFP is like Tiffany, enough. <laughs> um, so I, I spread that across cash, gold, and Bitcoin just because I am worried about inflation to a certain extent. So it's, it's, it's a tiny percent of my net worth is in cash and a tiny, and a mm -hmm. fraction of that is in Bitcoin. And it's not mm -hmm. what I'm considering an investment. It's more of a alternate currency to the dollar. Mm -hmm. I guess that's how I think about it. And did you have that cash readily available, Scott, to put into Bitcoin, or did you have to get a cash advance on a brand new credit card to <laughs> fund that Oh, that's just cash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Purchase. Yes. Okay. And I don't say that sounds kind of snotty. I didn't say that to be like, oh, Tiffany, look what you did. But I'm, <laughs> I'm saying that like, if you don't have the cash on hand to make an investment, don't borrow money to make an investment. Yes. I heard about people who were mortgaging their house or taking yes. out a second loan on their house so they could buy Bitcoin. And those are the same people who know as much about it as, as I do which is mm -hmm. why I have a 0% position in Bitcoin. And it just, it hurts me to read that story about how you took out a cash advance and the bankers were like, hey, we really, need, like when you go and withdraw 300 bucks, they don't ask you if you're in trouble. They don't ask <laughs> yes. you if you are being threatened, but you know, that's, that's a red flag. I love the one where you tell, if you, you couldn't even tell your dad, I would have your dad on the show. Does he do podcast <laughs> interviews? Well, I I, no, I just want to chime chime in here on this with the with the investing piece. You have to play to win at some point, but the time to play like that is not when you're taking out maxing out your credit card 
with an investment mm-hmm. you would be scared to talk to your dad about, right? With that kind of stuff. It's it's I'm going to build a financial a strong financial position and then I'm going to put a small amount of chips in on a few winning bets over here. I'm going to have a, cons- a consistent investing philosophy over here and those types of things. Oh, and, and by the way, like this is this out this is going to, you know, take everybody off, but I put in a lot less into Bitcoin than it went up. Uh, and so that it became a larger percentage of my cash position. Uh, <laughs> so no, but I, I completely agree. And that's why I was always one of those kids. Like, you know, I didn't learn the lesson from you telling me the lesson. I'm like, the stove is hot. Are you sure? Oh, hand is sizzling. You know what? Third degree burn. You are right. Stove is hot. But I'm grateful for that because what it did was it taught me empathy and also too, like, it's one thing to learn financial lessons externally. This is how you do this. This is how you do that, which is how I grew up. It's another thing to work through every financial mistake that you've made. Because uh, to your point, um, Mindy, when we first got on, you said like, when you read Geeka with Money, you were like, Tiffany, this is such an easy book to read. No jargon. Because I'm speaking from a place of, this is how I build my financial foundation. What I want for people is the same thing and the same reason why I became a preschool teacher. I want to be the foundational teacher in your life. You know, like you're not going to stop with letters, shapes, colors, numbers, and a little bit of um, early reading. But if you have this strong foundation, it's the reason why I started that young, that I know that you can build any type of education and life that you want to live. So if you have this strong financial foundation, something that I call financial wholeness, these 10 components, then you can go off and build whatever financial life that you want. And if when another recession comes or depression comes or pandemic and quarantine, that I know that you have this rock solid foundation, not that it can't be shaken, but not easily so, and you can rebuild build even stronger. So to me, that is my role as the budgetista. Like, I'm not going to teach you how to trade, you know, options. I'm not going to teach you how to short. I'm not going to, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. I'm saying after you build your strong foundation, I know it's not as sexy as like what other folks talk about, but I think it's critically important and it's what saved me. You know, I am now a legit millionaire. I always tell my husband that whenever he's like, Ooh, 50 cents. I don't know. I'm like, babe, you know, we're millionaires right now, right? He's like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> right? And so, <laughs> because, you know, so, because it's hard to absorb, but I, from that space, I've been able to build, you know, multi-million dollar companies. From that foundational space, I've been able to to go on and, and donate, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. From that space, I've been able to help millions of, especially um, women, get and stay on financial track. And that's why I wrote Gicka with Money, because I wanted people to have access to it's it's not a magic trick or tool but to access to how do i build such a strong financial foundation that i can build whatever financial house i want to moving forward can you describe what that financial foundation what what financial wholeness means Mm-hmm. So financial wholeness is when these 10 components, which I'll share, kind of like lock in together to create this strong foundation that cannot be shaken. They work together to create your your biggest benefit your your and your richest life. And so those things are budgeting, savings, debt, credit, learning to earn. So your income, those are the first five. So that's the first layer of your foundation. Then you've got investing for both retirement and wealth. You've got insurance so you can protect that investment and and yourself. You've got um, creating a money team, financial professionals around you. You've got net worth and you've got estate planning. That's the next layer. So those are the five, those are the 10 core steps to financial wholeness. And if you master those and you can, no matter what your gender is, no matter how much you make and no matter what you do for a living, anyone can achieve financial wholeness. 
I just out of curiosity, I, I'm, I'm interested in hearing more about the, um, I love the concept of invest for retirement, invest for wealth. Can you dive into what you mean by specifically by that step? So that was the most challenging chapter because I, I was torn like, uh, how do I share with the beginner and maybe someone who's not a beginner, you know, my philosophy on investing. And oftentimes what I find for, for women in particular is they don't see retirement as investing. So I wanted to make it pointed to say, there, in retirement is not, you're not saving for retirement, you're investing for retirement. And it's a different, different um, desired outcome than investing for wealth. When you invest for retirement, you are investing in a way to help maintain your current lifestyle from when you are no longer working. So investing for retirement is for you for later. Investing for wealth is so you can increase your current lifestyle now and potentially leave money for your heirs. So investing for wealth is for you now and potentially for your heirs later. And so no matter what, you should be investing for retirement. You don't start investing for wealth until you reach certain places. Like if you have high um, interest debt, your bills are behind. If you know, investing for wealth is when you are on a plane of where you have gotten yourself to a solid um, financial foundation, then you can start to look for investing for wealth. But investing for retirement, I feel is mandatory because I plan to be here when I'm 80. I hope you do too. So no matter what's going on in my life right now as 40 year old Tiffany, I need to set aside for my 80 year old self. It's so much so I gave her a name. I named her Wanda. I think I mentioned that before. That like, because there was a study done where they found that people are financially disassociated from their older self. They don't see themselves as their older self. I said, well, why not lean into it? Rename your older self, almost like you're talking about your grandmother or your grandfather. And so I named mine Wanda's. So Tiffany's job, one of my main core jobs is to take care of Wanda. And so no matter what, if I can't get to investing for wealth, fine. But at the very least, I need to invest for Wanda. I love that because when I was getting started on this journey, I was 23 and I was like, well, retirement is three lifetimes away. It, it, I would never, I would, would not have articulated it like that at the time, but I was like, that is not appealing to max out the retirement account. I want to, I, that's why early retirement really stood out to me as a potential, you know, thing. And it got me excited about this because like, oh, seven years, five years, that's much more aggressive timeline. <laughs> that, that's more real to me. How do you kind of, um, once you've articulated and defined your future self, what do you kind of recommend or, or for somebody who's maybe in that position trying to get out of debt, trying to build that financial foundation, but how do they begin to think about what they can reap as far as wealth for now downstream? And how do you balance that with the retirement investing? So once you, it's clear, if you have to set goals, you tell yourself, okay, at the bare minimum, how much do I want to be living off of in retirement? Setting that goal and really for retirement, when you're when you're maxing out and you're contributing to your retirement funds, you pick your fund, you set it, and you basically semi forget it. You know, then you can really lean into the fun stuff. You can decide, okay, you know what? I would really love. I remember like I was first broke, newly broke, and I moved out of my parents' house and onto my sister's couch. I had this journal where I wrote all the things that I wanted to do and everything that I wanted to do as far as travel and giving and starting a business. It said I would have to make $300,000 a year. That's what like after sharing and, and kind of monetizing. So that was the fun stuff. Like, okay, well, what do I need to do to make $300,000 a year? Cause I'm currently making whatever unemployment is giving me, you know? And so I started to map out, but that to your point, Scott, that that's what got me excited. Retirement didn't get me excited, but it was okay. I said it and semi-forgot it, you know, because that's the bare minimum to take care of Wanda. But 
I started to think, well, if I can do, how, how, well, I started to think like uh, backwards, like at the very least, if I can make 500 bucks a month, how do I do that? Once I did that, well, how do I make a thousand? Well, okay, well, how do I make 5,000? And then slowly but surely I started to grow. And, you know, now my companies, you know, make seven figures a month. And so, you know, that's, that's crazy. I used to make $39,000 a year. You know, so to now run companies that collectively make seven figures a month, is like mind blowing. And so, but it started with that fun part, Scott, because that's what motivates me forward. It was like, okay, I have my initial bare basics goal. It's running behind the scenes. And let me, let me lean into, you know, what's going to get me excited to get up every day to move toward. And so that's what I suggest for people, you know, don't leave your Wanda out there flailing. You know, I get it that it's super exciting to work on like building wealth now, but you know, that is a maybe you want that you have set aside definitely for your older self, set it and forget it. And then, and then set your, your wealth goals and, and make them exciting and lead toward them and, and chart the path. I love a good journal. What I do too is like, I have a vision board. I have like this um check that every year I update it. And I'll say, I remember the first one, I was like, one day I'm gonna make, um, someone's gonna pay me $10,000 to do Budget Nista. And it took about two years into business and somebody hired me to do a speaking engagement and bought books or whatever. And there was a check for 10,000. And so I, I rewrote myself a new check. It was like, one day someone's gonna pay me 30. And right now, I think I have on there that one day someone's going to pay me like uh, like 20 million, you know, like somehow, some way, whether it's going to be like a show that's amazing, that's because I kept upping it. And it's the thing that makes me say like, go, Tiffany, go. But Wanda has been more than provided for because I cannot work from a place of anxiety about my future. So I have to set that before I can move forward with other things. And that's what I teach in Get Good With Money. Okay. I want to talk about how you set up Wanda. What mm -hmm. is this set it and forget it that you have mentioned several times? How is Wanda set up? And how did, like you said that you figured out how much, like what's the bare minimum for Wanda? How did you figure mm -hmm. out what the bare minimum is? So I sat down with my CFP and I suggest you could just sit down with yourself and decide, well, how much money um, I use the, you know, the, the, the rule of 25, right? So I said, how much money? And then I add it because someone, I want to live a little better than like how I'm living now, or at least be even more comfortable. So I said, how much money, Tiffany, you know, are you wanting to spend a year um, when you are, I told my CFP, I want to high, I want to retire at 50, right? Well, not even retire, but I want to know if I didn't want to work anymore, like 50, like, what does that look like? And so she was like, okay, so let's just say you're going to live into a hundred. So how much money do you have to have for 50 years of not having to work? I mean, I could technically not work now, but it wouldn't be at the lifestyle level that I'd like. And so at first I was thinking is a hundred thousand dollars a year enough. And then my husband and I went back and forth and I said, if we have no debt, cause right now we have no debt. We own our homes free and clear. I've since paid off my parents' house. I don't have my student loan debt anymore. I always say I'm debt-free like a five-year-old. So I'm like, let's assume that we're going to maintain being debt-free. And um, $300,000 a year, that's what we'd like to see. So we were, we did the math of like, so what does that look like? How much money do I have to have put up to be able to um, withdraw, if I wanted to, up to $300,000 um, a year? And also considering, you have to also consider your um, um, health insurance. Thankfully, my husband works for the city. 
because um, he would have retired already, but he's got literally a couple more years and he, we could take that retirement with us because that's really important. Well, not the retirement, but um, take that health insurance with us, which is super important. So I didn't have to calculate like our insurance costs because you want to do that as well. And so the number that I came up with to have kind of stashed away is between um, like eight to $10 million um, um, stashed away that if I had to live off that, um, the interest that without touching the principal that I could do so fairly comfortably. So I think Angelia at the time when I first met with her, she said seven, but now looking at it, cause I'd pushed up how much I wanted to live off of. We pushed it up to eight for, for me, my goal is to have $10 million set aside that I don't have to worry. And then I know, honestly, I'm going to over, because I'm an overachiever. I'm going to go above and beyond that. But that is my bare minimum that Wanda's like, 10 million sounds good to me. Now that might sound crazy to you <laughs> listening. For you, it might be, you know, a million dollars. But you want to do the math backwards. How much do you want to live off of? When you? When do you want to stop working? How much interest on average, you know, like we don't count last year, you're looking seven to 8% yield on average the last 30 years. You know, if you pull out no more than 4%, you know, from your portfolio, what does that amount look like? So doing that kind of math, what about health insurance? How much is that cost going to cost us? The one thing that I am slightly worried about is, um, uh, what is it called? Long-term uh, care insurance, because there's no way to like prepay for that. And honestly, sometimes premiums can jump 70% year to year. So that is something that like, um, that's why I want to have a little extra stash. So you want to think about what your life looks like then doing the math backwards and then deciding, okay, this is what I need to set aside. So I know I'm someone who needs a carrot. I know what my carrot is every year that I need to put up in order to, to establish that while still continuing to enjoy and live life now. And so I'm very mindful of that when I take on uh, jobs, when people ask me to speak, I look at those numbers, like even the way I navigate my business, I'm consolidating some businesses, I'm creating new business revenues because I know how much money I want the business to pay me, but also the people that work with me. So having that number trickles down into all the things that I do, even the way we purchased this home. I don't think this is our forever home. Um, so I'm thinking to myself, okay, the next home likely is, we will likely keep this home and maybe rent it out because it's in a great neighborhood. Um, we have a second property. So these are the things, when you, when you create your big vision for yourself, it allows you to trickle down to the rest of your financial life and set the pace for the rest of your financial life. There are things like I negotiate harder you know, now I literally like I, I, I have something on my my rate sheet that I used to charge thirty thousand dollars for. But looking at the goals that I wanted to hit, I was like, you know, I'm going to put 50 on there. And my spokesperson agent was like, no one's going to pay that. I was like, let's just see. Well, guess what? Someone just hit her up and they were like, yep, we want Tiffany for the 50,000. And I was like, ah, you never know. And so but I did that because in my mind, I was thinking, hmm. I want to double what I, what, you know, what I invest this year because, you know, I want to hit my, seemingly, I kind of want to hit my goal by 45, not by 50. So yeah, so I know that's a long way of saying it, Scott, but I, basically I like to think big picture and then trickle it down to what I need to do now to hit my goal every year. I like to hit my goal at least by the six year mark. I mean, the six month mark, if not sooner for setting aside. And currently my goal is I have to set aside at minimum about $500,000 a year um, to hit my goal if I want to hit it before 50. So I really strive to, to do double that. 
No, I, I think it's an, an incredible amount of aggression and a huge, huge vision with those types of things. And it all mm. came after building your foundation. Um, and now exactly. you're just snowballing and accelerating it. If I'm listening though, and I'm, you know, I'm probably not in, maybe not in that, in that category of income where you, you probably, if you're going to save five, if you're going to invest $500,000, you're going to have to earn much more than that in order to invest yeah. that and fund your lifestyle. So, but if I'm, if I'm earning like between 50 and $150,000 a year, let's say, mm-hmm. how do I kind of think about that? Do you recommend that you put down that vision? That's that eight to $10 million in, and 300,000 in passive income. Or do you start with something smaller that's more attainable? Or do you just write down exactly what you want in great detail and figure it out? How, how do you kind of think about that? I think that you should always have your big, big, big vision listed, but then chopping it down to, but what can I do now? Because like I said, I was literally on my sister's couch and was like, I want to do all these things. $300,000 a year. That, that was like saying a trillion dollars. What does that even mean? But I said that was kind of the carrot. And so it took over 10 years for me to even be in that realm, you know? So, but I believe in having that big, big goal because you have to know where you're going. And then, and then literally I was like, okay, we know that's the goal. Slap it on my vision board. Now, how do I make $500 a month, Tiffany? So I can rent this room because a friend of mine had found this really cute brownstone and she was renting each room out for 500 bucks and I wanted to move off my sister's couch. So that was my goal. How, how do I get my, not to say that I wasn't at the time um, trying to work toward the $300,000 a year when I was on my sister's couch, it was just duly noted, acknowledged. That's the big, big, big picture. But right now I would like to get my own room so I don't sleep on the couch anymore. 500 bucks a month. Then once I accomplished that, it was like, can I do 1000? What does that look like? What do I need to do? Once I accomplished that, then it became, well, can I do five? What is that? Because what you'll find is that um, success and goals are cumulative. That if you can do, like I used to hear, I remember Warren Buffett, I think it was um, Jay-Z or somebody who said like, wow, making your first million is the hardest. And Warren Buffett said, wait till you see your first billion, you know? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, but what I found is then that it actually like w- making that first 500 to a $1,000 was so hard because I didn't know how to do anything. But once you learn a thing, I was like, okay, well making from 1000 to 5,000, not that it wasn't hard, but I had more skills under my belt. And then from five to 10, I was like, okay, Tiffany, we know how to do this because you know what? You just, you can either multiply your efforts or get more clever in what your efforts look like, you know? And so I remember the first time I was like, it was so hard to get my company to a hundred thousand dollars in a year. And I remember it took every last piece of brain cell that I had, but to get my company to a million dollars in a year actually wasn't as hard because I had collected so many so many lessons along the way. And then once I realized that I was like, okay, then actually surprisingly getting to a million dollars in a month, it, it, to me, it was actually harder to get to hundred thousand dollars in a year because by then I had collected relationships. I collected knowledge. I collected know-how I was more savvy. And so you will find that, you know, you don't have to be as aggressive with your initial goals, because those initial goals you might find actually might be harder to attain and to achieve, but you are, success is a layering like a cake. You are layering your cake and eventually you'll have the bigger cake if you just keep going. There is nothing special about me. I know people are like, what? How much does she make? I mean, I've only ever had two jobs as an adult. 
preschool teacher, budgetista. So literally, like just over 10 years ago, right now, around this time, I would be getting the kids ready for nap time. We'd be cleaning up from coming in from outside. And during nap time, I would be reading financial books and, and trying to make my life bigger than what I knew it could be. The only thing that I've seen about myself that makes me special is I am obsessively consistent. Day in, day out, day in, day out. Day, a day does not go by that I don't work on my dream in some way. Whether it's listening to a podcast, like I have a podcast called Brown Ambition where we talk about money and career and things like that. Whether it's reading a book. I'm really big now, like I take a walk every day and I listen to uh, books on um, Audible. Whether it's writing out my goals, whether it's journaling my dreams, whether it's actually doing the actual work, whether it's talking to someone. There are people who come to me now, Scott and Mindy, who are like, Tiffany, I remember I first met you at the supermarket and you were like, and I started this thing called Bajanista and then Bajanista and then, but like people who've known me for the last 10 years are like, oh my God, this girl about this Bajanista thing. I was obsessive about consistently pouring into my goals and dreams. You cannot lose if you just keep going. Now, winning is going to look different for other different people, but you cannot lose if you never stop. And so that that's what makes me special but it's so critical to start with that foundation because once you have that any other layer you build it's just i mean the sky's the limit i'm i'm just even now just starting to awaken just how much more i'm capable of you know like just how much more i'm capable of i, I never i mean i was like an a b kind of c student of all my sisters, I definitely was not the one with the biggest potential. I mean, my parents are shocked as hell. Let me just tell you. <laughs> they are. So I always tell people who have kids, like, if you've got that wild middle kid, you leave them alone. They might turn out, you know. But, um, yeah, I just, and, and for me, what really gives me great pleasure, at the end of the day, I'm a teacher. You know, like, I, I cannot learn a thing and not teach a thing and not share a thing. And to me, that's also like maybe like a little secret sauce because when you teach, you get to learn twice. So writing the book, I just got even better at getting financial wholeness. Writing every chapter, I got better at credit. I got better at budgeting because it forced me to see it through someone's eyes who might not know how to do any of these things. And so like, it's just like a magical time because I'm at the beginning of the middle. So just last year, I felt it. I was like, Tiffany, this is the end of the beginning for you. So if you think of your life as this trajectory where, you know, you're kind of going up, you peak, and then not to say you go down, but you know, like any superstar or whatever, we're not listening to like, you know, Bing Crosby anymore, you know? So he peaks and, and he comes down and he's still an icon. But for me, I finished the beginning or the end of the beginning last year. And I'm at the beginning of the middle. I have not yet peaked. And I suspect if you're listening to this, you have not yet peaked either. The world is, there's so much awaiting you if you will build a foundation, consistently, consistently, consistently go after your dreams. And if you ask me, I believe giving back and, and giving activates abundance and go back and help other people. That's the magic sauce to, to doing well. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's what you're doing is is all out. And especially at first, you were in complete command of your spending. You're still in command of your spending, I'm sure. You just have more income, mm -hmm. so you can, you can lighten up a little bit, It sounds, I, I bet, on the spending <laughs> side. But you're in complete command of your spending. You built your financial foundation or got the, got the basics right with that. And then mm -hmm. I think what's interesting is 
you would not be able to achieve that vision in the timeline that you wanted as a teacher. And I don't mean that as a bash or anything like that. I just, I had a, a similar thought when I was at my old career, like, hey, if I continue this, I will be a financial analyst too, and then a senior financial analyst, and then a finance manager. And my vision will not be realized under that track. Mm -hmm. And so do you have any comments on that? Like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm inspired by what Tiffany just said. And I want to go after that big vision. But like, obviously, my current career track is not going to support that. I, ha I would have to make a hard pivot and take on all the risks and the all out intensity and obsession for eh, one decade or so uh, in order to begin getting on the the route that you're on. How do you like, how does one begin that mental process? Because that was that was really difficult for me uh, six, seven years ago. I say this, that one, don't despise humble beginnings. There's there is no budgetista without preschool teacher Tiffany. There just isn't. I learned to teach in that classroom. There's nothing harder than getting a three-year-old to understand what you mean, how you mean it, and for them to, to learn a thing. Because you can be like, hey, we're going to learn the color red today, red like an apple. And you're going to get a three-year-old that might say, what's an apple? You're like, wait, what? So now I've got to teach you an apple is a fruit. Well, what's a fruit? Oh, my goodness. So now before we can even get to the color red... We have to go back, 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 back. So one, just know that where you are is preparing you for where you want to be. To not despise humble beginnings because I suspect wherever it is you're going, you can't get there without the lessons that you're currently learning where you are. So that's one. Then two, farm your skill set. At the end of the day, I'm still a teacher. Like I don't, people, someone told me the other day, Tiffany, wow, you're like, um, what does she say? You've got the golden touch. Everything you touch turns to gold. I'm like, here's my secret. I only touch gold. <laughs> like, I'm, I don't have the golden touch. I stay in my lane. All I do is teach. I teach through podcasts. I teach through on my online school, the Literature Academy. I teach through going live on social media. I teach through books like Get Good With Money. I don't, I don't do anything else. You're not going to see me, you know, doing anything else other than what I know that I'm good at. And what I can, I've been honing my skill set on for the last 20 years. I'm a really good teacher. So whatever it is that you're doing, there's either an obvious skill set that you are honing or maybe a, a more subtle skill set that you don't realize. I'll give you an example. My sister was a financial analyst for like seven, eight years. She hated it. Um, but this was a kid because she's two years younger than me. They used to bring a briefcase to third grade. She and my dad are like twins. <laughs> And so she was so organized. She would iron her clothes at night in fourth grade and lay out her clothes. Her attention to detail is sickening. So that's why as a financial analyst, although she did well, she hated it. Right. And so just recently, because with pandemic and quarantine and, and, and everyone losing their jobs, she was like, um, I told her, I was like, you know, I'm looking for a new publicist and I want to bring it in house. You know, in the meantime, can you help me? And she was like, I don't know how to be a publicist. I'm like, yeah, I know. But a lot of it is just being organized. I just need you to, to pitch folks and, and then keep, you know, keep track of who said yes and when and what and what's happening. And then keep track of putting it on my calendar. And she was like, I guess, I mean, but when I tell you that latent skill of highly organized anal retentivity, if you will has made her the most incredible publicist I've ever had. I mean, the platforms that I'm on now, it are greater than the combined of the, my first nine years of business, like in, in the one year, I mean, good morning, America, today's show, Cosmo GQ, 
um, um, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Glamour. I just, and I'm like, how are you doing this? And she's like, she's just hyper-organized and it lends itself to this field. And so I just share that too, that you listening might think like, well, you know, I'm working, you know, maybe I'm a buyer, maybe I'm a, you know, maybe I'm a mechanic. There might be an obvious skill set that you can hone um, or a, a latent skill set that like, like just below the surface that you're actually tapping into to do what you're currently doing. Tap into that and continue to mine that. And something else that you could do, try new things. So while you're at your job, so I used to do a lot of volunteer work. Volunteer work is not only good for your soul, but it's actually good for your heart and mind too. Meaning that it was through volunteer work that I realized that I like teaching financial education, you know, because it got me to like test out like, oh, I like that because I would volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club. And meanwhile, I'm supposed to be like, I don't know, helping the kids draw, uh, you know, with chalk outside. And I'm talking to the counselor and saying, and that's how you raise your credit score. Like, or I'd be at the, the, you know, like I'd be um, like serving food at a homeless shelter and then me and the person next to me serving food. I'm like, girl, that's not how you budget. You know what? After this, I'm going to, let's just lay out your budget. When, even when I was a teacher during nap time, parents would come in because I was doing everyone's budget. I was helping everyone file their taxes. This is 20, 21 year old Tiffany. Literally the maintenance men used to come in. Like they love to clean our classroom because they would be like, you have any more tips about, um, about raising my credit score? So, but I didn't see that as like a thing. I'm like, you know, I just enjoy it. But through volunteering, I realized that there's an avenue here to take the skill set that I can pour it into this avenue. And so those, that's what I would share for someone listening that don't despise humble beginnings. What you're doing now is going to prepare you for the future to mine whatever those skills that you are developing where you currently are and ramp it up, ramp it up through three volunteering to see like, what else did you you know, and volunteering doesn't have to be super, a super heavy lift. It just might mean that, you know, you, you sit down with your sister, you, you know, reach out to your college roommate just to test out other, um, other interests that you might have. Because if you can creatively take your skill set and work it outside of your current environment, the sky is truly the limit for you. Honestly, the sky is truly the limit. I wish more people realized that they're living so close to ground level that they could pick their head up at any time and breathe different air and and it's less competition up here because most people just never pick their head up and realize wait there's something else i can do i mean if the recession had not happened i'm not like super special the recession took my job i would still be teaching preschool if the recession didn't say hey tiffany there's no funding for this nonprofit school where you work snatch i would still be there but thankfully that it did so because it forced me to pick my head up and say there's more out here. And I promise you that it, it actually gets, I mean, it gets harder the work, but it gets easier in some aspects too, because there's really hardly anybody up here. So the people who are up here pull you in. I can't tell you how many people in my inbox, like the, the more I do, someone who's doing way better than me will say, I was waiting for you to hit this spot. Come on into the room. And I'm like, wait, there's a room where everybody <laughs> makes $20 million a year? Where have I been? And then you hit 20 and then someone from the $50 million a year room. I just literally had a phone call with a young woman who's in her 30s who makes $50 million a year in her business and through trading. And I was like, can I talk to you every week? You know, because... <laughs> well, I, 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 have a, I have a chicken or egg question here for you. So so does this big vision and there's these like, what is my potential moving towards it aggressively? You, you just you just talked about this with so much energy and so much passion just now. 
like you clearly love it. You clearly love the journey of this. Um, and that I think evolves rather than mm-hmm. turns on at one moment in time. And so mm-hmm. my question for you is chicken or egg, does, does this, what you bring with your passion and energy and ambition and huge goals is is that more driven by you writing down the big vision or is that more driven by your day-to-day love? You love your day-to-day life and your journey. I can tell uh, from that. You probably have hard, <laughs> brutal days. Uh, you yes. know, I, I certainly do with, with uh, not, not quite similar, but, but it's a different way, a, d- a different line of, of business that I'm, that I work in on day-to-day basis, but I love what I do day-to-day as well with that. Mm-hmm. What's the chicken or egg there? Is it build the day-to-day that you like that that is moving you, propelling you towards it or start with the vision? For me, I think the vision starts first, meaning that for me, the thing that gets me excited above all else is to teach and to transform. And so it's that energy that you're hearing and seeing because I'm currently teaching. Like I, when I talk about I love teaching, I love teaching. Like if it wasn't this, I'd be, I would be back in the classroom. Like it's the thing that gets me up. It's the thing that gets me hyped and excited. Like when people are like, sometimes when, when, when you just said, Scott, that like you're super, you're, I could tell you're super passionate. I didn't even realize, you know, I'm like, wait, really? am I being passionate? Yeah. Yes. You're I didn't. being passionate. Don't worry. <laughs> when I tell you earlier today, I literally woke up. I had like no sleep. It was a brutal day. I was like, cause you know, with I'm, I'm sharing the book. I'm like, I'm doing like six interviews a day. I'm so exhausted. I am fully energized. I'm a, 120% Tiffany right now because I'm currently teaching. I'm doing what I love best. And, and that's what fuels and makes the other things possible. Don't get me wrong. Making a lot of money, it's great. You know, it is because it allows me to look after my family and friends. I'm not stressed and worried like I was before, but it's not enough. It's not enough to keep me going because if it was, I would have stopped by now and been like, honestly, Tiffany, you have enough. You really, I mean, you you don't even, you're not even going to use $300,000 a year. You couldn't as it is right now, you could do 150 and be fine and never have to work a day in your life. So it's not the money that keeps me going. In the beginning, it was definitely like, oh, what am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? But once you get past that point, something else has to fuel you. And for me, I, I'm fortunate in that I early on as a little girl, I knew I wanted to teach. I was afraid to say it. You know, in college, I was I went to school for business because I didn't want to admit that I wanted to teach because I thought teaching meant brokenness. But um, once I realized that you can teach in a variety of ways and it was a skill set that I could take with me to different areas of life. But yeah, if you can find that thing, I mean, now I know it sounds super cliche. It doesn't have to be your overall purpose, but if you can find the thing that gives you the energy. So it's, for some pe- people, it's making money. Like they love to see the dough rolling in, you know, for some people it's innovation. They love coming up with brand new ideas or whatever. What is that thing that keeps you going? And then you can tack on other things to it and, and, and take it to the top. So I've tacked on business to my, to my, my passion for teaching. You know, I've tacked on philanthropy to my passion for teaching. You know, I've tacked on growth and, and, and growing wealth, um, for my passion for teaching because teaching is the driver for all that I do. Like I'm going to be like 90 years old, like on the front porch you know, asking everybody to come and like, listen to me, run my mouth. My father used to always say, meanwhile, he's a chatterbox himself. Um, but he used to always say that I talk too much. It wasn't that. I just, I cannot possibly know a thing without sharing a thing. 
Like if I know something good, I'm like, I gotta share it. <laughs> and so that's why I'm so, this literally Geeka with Money, my book is my love letter to the reader because I pour in all the purpose, all the passion, everything that I know that has helped to set me up for the life that I'm living now into this book because like I don't hold anything back. There is no, and in this book number two, this is it. This is everything I know and feel. And if there is a book number two, it'll be new things that I've learned and, and felt and, and grown into. But yeah, so yeah, definitely the vision comes first and then the goals come later, you know, because sometimes I, I fly past the goal so fast, I'm like, I can't even take note of it. And some goals have taken me 10 years to, to achieve. And so that's not enough to keep me going. You know, 10 years to wait to achieve a goal is, is a long time, but the teaching keeps me going. Like you guys have like woken me up today. I definitely was like a little dead this morning, but I'm like, I'm ready. <laughs> I don't think anyone could describe you as that. <laughs> so awesome. I, your next book should be how to start a business, how to discover, that. how to discover your latent skills, how to discover, <laughs> you know, how to make an attainable vision board. I want to make $10 million a month. Well, that's great, but you can't just say that you have to figure out how you're going to do that. So how to come up with the plan, how to come up with the vision board, how to discover your latent skills, how to create a business that lives on past you. Mm. That's that's your next book. I, don't I was know thinking you know about this. calling it do, do good. No, because I, I thought that I told myself once I reach $10 million a year in business, I will consider writing a book on it. Because I just felt like that was a serious number, you know? And so I, I had in my mind, I, I had my book name called Do Good, how to do good work, help good people make good money. That, that was like the name. I don't know if that's what it's going to be called, but that's what I told myself. So if I ever do write uh, a business book, I want to write one where it's based in how you do so with integrity, maintaining kindness, you know, like I, I just, I don't believe in the gotcha, gotcha or the switcheroo. I think that you can have a very successful business where literally everybody wins. Yes. It's military appreciation month. So I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. 
If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm going I'm flipping back to a second here with this, but um, you, a couple of things you mentioned. One, you said you've been obsessed with your goal, or use the word obsessed, mm-hmm. for many years, and that you're extremely consistent. Do you use any tools to track that consistency? For example, do you write down goals and track them every day? Or what is your methodology there, if, if any? Yes, I am. If you could see, I am a huge notebook person. I have literally probably like four or five notebooks going. This is like one of my notebooks that I'm using now um, or stickies. Like literally, I am huge notebook. And if I don't have a notebook, then I will text it to myself or slack it to myself. So what I do is I, I have a list of like everything that I need to do, kind of like high end things that I need to do and then broken down into the so like goals we need to accomplish then the tasks that need to be done to, to do those goals and then what tasks I really need to complete today. So usually I try to put my tasks that need to be completed today onto like a sticky, you know, or you have your notebook too. Or you have Every a, day I print so, it off. I say, here's what I'm going to do to move my goals forward. Here's what I'm going to do for chores that I just exactly. have to get done to, to, to knock them out. And because it's important. So it's, I try to do the night before, you know, if not the night before, then I do it the, as soon as I like wake up, like after I, I eat, I make myself a smoothie. If I'm going to exercise, I do that. But before I actually start to do work, because on the, on the rare occasion that I just jump into it, my day's a mess. I find myself down rabbit holes. And I'm like, Tiffany, this is not due for two weeks. You have something that's due today. You didn't even get to it. You know, and so it's really important that like I whittle it down 
big, big vision, goals to hit that vision, tasks to hit those goals, what does today look like? And and then, like I said, usually I put it like on a sticky and I'll put it on my computer because I'll look and I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to, okay, I gotta do that today, I have to do that today. And so by the end of the day, I look to see, is there anything that I kind of like left outstanding? And so I'll give you an example. So this, you can't do this now, but when I first was starting my business, there was no Facebook business. There was no, you couldn't do ads. Facebook was literally just out of the phase where you had to have an EDU in order to sign up for Facebook. And so I was using Facebook to market. No one was doing that, but I changed my name to Tiffany, my middle name to the Budgetista, and then Aliche on Facebook. And I was, I just got my first contract with the United Way. They're paying me, I think, three to $500 a class once a week to teach this six-week course I'd written for them. And so I was worried because the first turnout, they did the marketing, five people showed up. And I was like, they're not going to continue to pay me, you know, for five people. So the next time I said, can I market for you? I have my, my, um, my undergrad degrees, business with a concentration of marketing. They said, sure. So I used my new Tiffany the Budgetista Aliche Facebook page, which was just my personal page, and I would push out marketing to get more people to come to the United Way classes so they could continue to pay me. But one of the things I used to do is I had like one of my homeworks every day to myself was I had to send out 20 friend requests. So like Scott, I might be like, "Hmm, hmm, hmm." so I would literally go on Facebook and just like, I would friend request Scott. I'm like, Scott has like a headshot. He looks like he works at a company. Because in my mind, I thought if you work at a company, maybe you'd be like, hey, company, I see this girl Tiffany posting about financial classes. We should have her here. Then I would go through your friend list, Scott, and look at anyone that looked like they had a professional picture and be like, friend, friend, friend. And honestly, one of my really, like one of my best friends now, Mark, that's how we became best friends because I sent him a friend request because one of his friends accepted mine. And he said at one point, they all sat around and was like, who's Tiffany? Because they were all friends with me, but they didn't know me. <laughs> and so like, I was like this little worm. You can't do this now on Facebook. But I was like this little worm. But I did that because my thought process was, you're going to be my friend. And this is before Facebook had algorithms. It was just like, you know, it was just a true timeline. And I was going to post about what I was doing as the budgetista. And there was a potential that your church or your, your, your business or your corporation, wherever you worked, your school might want to hire me. So I wanted to get in front of people who would say, we should have her come here. And so that was my homework for a year. You know, every single day I had to friend 10 to 20 different people or at least send out friend requests. So that's the kind of thing that I was doing. It sounds so minute and nuanced. But it worked. You know, it worked. I, I just want to chime in that that if you are listening and you are inspired by what Tiffany is saying, my advice to you would be to begin with writing the vision down. Uh, yes. And then doing some form of daily organized tracking of your goals. You don't, it doesn't have to be like a crazy thing. You don't have to spend 30 minutes on it. But like five minutes last night, I wrote down like, here's the things I need to do today the next day to move my goals forward. And I just check them off. And if it's seven o'clock at night and I haven't got to them yet, I spend until eight doing them. And it's just like every day I make that progress. And if you compound that for three years, you won't, you, you will, you will see I results promise. for sure. Yes. And so first, do you have any, um, like, uh, uh, resources for someone looking to do that or that where they can get an example of, of how to begin doing that? Um, I'm trying to think of any resources that I really used. Um, like I said, I'm really, I'm not, I don't really like uh planners per se because they're a little constricting for me. Like for me, 
Um, I like a good looking notebook because it really motivates me to like open it up. Um, but I also like, um, you know, you might want to use like an online tool where you can, because also too, I have really terrible handwriting. So sometimes I'm like, what does this say, Tiffany? Um, so sometimes, if, especially if something's very important, I will, I, before there was Slack, because I use Slack as an internal messaging tool that our team uses, I used to email myself the things. So that way, if it, it was written clearly, so because my handwriting is not the greatest, I don't think you have to go crazy with tools unless you're like a super techie person and you love a good tool, I would also use the notebook feature on my cell phone at times where I'd be like, okay, let me pull up my my notepad in my cell phone and, and send myself uh, messages. So one trick that I'll use, because I have so much flying through my head um, that as soon as a thing hits, I will write it or text it or met whatever to capture it because it might be gone in the next five to 10 minutes. That's critically important, especially as you get a little older. Um, <laughs> that is critically important that like, you know, like I was like, oh wait, did I send Penguin Random House that thing? I will write it even if we're in the middle of talking because I know it might not resurface for another week and then now I've forgotten and it's too late. So that um, capturing those things, putting them somewhere. Um, and another tip I will use is try not to have, cause I'm the worst at having too many places you know, like I said, I'm like on, I have like five notebooks going, my Slack, my email. So I'm trying to consolidate to have one written component. So I try to get notebooks that are small enough to fit in a bag so I can carry it with me no matter where I am. Um, and then one text component. And so now I've started to use, I created a Slack channel um, just for myself where I literally just call Tiffany's notes, where I can just select, select, text myself notes like, don't forget to print out the thing. Don't forget to print out poster. Don't forget to... So that's what, that way it's there. And then at the end of the evening, when I'm resetting for the next day, I look at all the things, like the the uh, things prior, the tasks prior, and the tasks that just came up as a result of the day. And then I reorganize my tasks for the next day to say, these are your priorities. This is what three or four things that must be done. Three or four things that would be nice to get done. Three or four things that like, if you get them done, great. If not, you know, you have time on them. And so like, so that's how it looks. Great. And, and just if you're listening, I, like a spiral bound notebook is perfect. Uh, if like, if you want, like I have a Microsoft word template that I uploaded to bigger pockets. You can download those there. That starts the vision one year, quarterly, weekly, daily goal setting stuff. So you can customize it from there. We'll link to that in the show notes, but I, I, I highly encourage you to start that some version of this, if you're listening, because that's, I think the easiest step. And then the second thing that you yes. said is every single day you mentioned I'm working on my business, even if it's listening to a podcast, how mm. much edu- self-education are you doing? Are you consuming per week? Would you say in terms of um, hours? I'm like, hours, hours. And the other day I was like, Tiffany, do you listen to music? I had to literally turn on Drake just to prove I was a human being. <laughs> I listened to, <laughs> I mean, literally like if I'm taking a shower, I'm like, huh, how I built this. Yes, Guy Raz, I agree, you know? Or like, literally, I'm doing dishes, bigger pockets. Oh, I never thought about it that way. You know, or I'm going for a walk. It, like, for a walk, I have to be mindful because I'm someone who likes to take notes. So I try to listen to books that, that because it's hard for me um, to listen to books that require notes when I'm taking a walk. Because I'm like, ah, where do I put these notes? So I really try to listen to books that notes are not necessarily required. You know, maybe it's more so I am elevating myself emotionally and socially through this book. I would say soft education, um, unless it's a super packed day full of work, I, I dedicate an hour maybe up to maybe even four hours of just soft education because sometimes it's just playing in the background. 
You know, like, it's just like my niece and my nephew might be over, they're three and five and they're playing and I'm watching them and babysitting, but I'm listening to a podcast while they're playing, you know? Um, so I, at, at least an, an hour, I don't know that a day doesn't go by. And sometimes it's even just daydreaming. Like, I think people underestimate the power of just laying in your bed or sitting on the front porch or laying in a hammock and imagining that amazing life that you say that you want. I used to drive from, I used to live in one part of Jersey to drive to Newark to go teach preschool. And Newark has a huge airport. And I would be driving because I had to be at work at 7 a.m. in the morning. So like at 6.30, 6 o'clock, the sky would still be pink and purple and all these pretty colors. And I would daydream and pretend one day I'm going to be driving into Newark because I'm getting on a plane to go speak somewhere. So like even then preschool teacher Tiffany would be like, no, Tiffany, you're not driving to preschool. You're driving to Newark because such and such said you have to speak. Or I love practicing my speaking engagement for like um, awards that I have not yet won or been nominated for while I'm taking a shower. I'm like, <laughs> and that I just want to thank Oprah. And I just went like, this is me. I, I didn't even realize like saying it out loud. And Scott, this is such a great question because I didn't, I didn't even recognize to me, this is just normal Tiffany, but saying it out loud, I'm like, wait, do people do that? But I'm always practicing for the next big thing. Even if it sounds wild and crazy, I will live in it in my head and say, even as a kid, I would live, live in those things in my head. Like when I get my bike, I'm going to do this wheelie. And when I get that Barbie, Barbie's going to do this. And then when I get that. And so I think living in your dreams helps to bring them to fruition because you've already staked a claim in it. You're just walking toward the place that you staked the claim. Awesome. Okay. You're talking about how you continue to learn and you continue to soft educate. And all I can hear is she sounds like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, because those guys at their annual meeting, they say, we spend four hours a day reading newspapers. They're looking for more information. Can Charlie and Warren rest on their laurels? They sure can. Can Tiffany rest on her laurels? She, Wanda's taken care of, Tiffany. Yeah. Just if you did nothing ever again, yep. Wanda would be taken care of. Wanda might not be able mm -hmm. to live on 300,000. She might be only, you know, at 250. She's going to have to come back on nothing. Um, but the fact that you continue to do that just speaks to who you are as a person. And you're never, I, I, I don't know how to say this in a nice way. I mean it in a nice way. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going no. to stop. You're going to continue. But, but it's not for you. It's for everyone else. And mm -hmm. when you give so freely, it comes back in just bushels. I just find joy and delight in learning. I think, I think a good teacher is a better student. Like, I love being like, I love reading random books that seem like not like, um, uh, what is that book? Uh, it's a uh, Ryan Serhant, sell it like Serhant. I read that book and I got so much value. I mean, he's talking about selling real estate, but it was like, oh, but there's, there's always a nugget somewhere. Like I, one of my favorite books, I'm sure everybody loves this book, but it's the alchemist by Paolo Coelho. It's one of my favorite books of all time. It's a fiction book. You know, like the other day I was watching this Netflix, uh, I guess a docu-series of like toys we grew up with and how they're made, you know? And so I remember like, so I'm just watching because I was getting my hair retightened and like the, the, the guy who was doing my hair, he was watching it. So I'm like, oh, that's how Barbie was made. Oh, that's how 
So they were talking about Hello Kitty and I got an inspiration because they said Hello Kitty is something called kawaii and I'd never heard that term before. It's a term in Japanese that means cute, but not cute on a surface level, but cute on a genetic level. Cute the way babies are cute to protect them because parents look after their kids because you've got this genetic um, um, guttural reaction to seeing the way a baby's face looks and the way babies feel and smell. It's their defense mechanism because you as a parent, I'm like, oh my kid, my kid is so cute. So it makes you it makes you take care of your kid. This is why puppies are cuter than dogs and cats are cuter than kittens. You know, this is what this is what um, evolution has created to protect babies so they're looked after. So I never heard of kawaii. That's what kawaii means. It doesn't mean cute. It means like like cute at the deepest level possible. And I got an inspiration and I messaged, I was on my phone, I messaged to Slack because I, as you know, I wrote a children's book called Happy Birthday Molly Moore. And I messaged Jazz, my, my illustrator. I was like, we have to do Kauai. I need you to watch this. And I did some research and this is why I'm getting my hair done. I was like, we need to make Molly Kauai. Do you understand? <laughs> but there is inspiration. I was watching Netflix. There's inspiration everywhere if you will see it. I'm someone to practice marketing. I will look at billboards and judge them. I'm like, yeah, see, the font is too small here. Why would they use? Why was they? Why would they use script? I'm in my car. I can't read script that quickly. The perfect sign of all signs is the stop sign, because one, that red, you know instantly that it's branded itself. But it's not just that. That shape, it's a universal shape. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how do I do that with my brand? And then the stop sign is bold font. Like if you look at the font on Get Good With Money, look at that font and tell me it doesn't remind you of the stop sign. It's not, it's not coincidental because it's big, it's thick, it's bold. You can see it from miles away. That was intentional. I stole it from the stop sign. Is it, is it intentional <laughs> that it's placed right behind your camera? Exactly. That too. <laughs> um, well, well. But, you, but do you see what I mean? That there's so many lessons all over, no matter where you live, what you do for a living, you know, like if you work with kids all day and you are, you're uh, an eighth grade teacher, what are the kids talking about? That might be an amazing stock tip. Like, I was watching my my um, stepdaughter, Supergirl, dance to Musical.ly for years. I should have got her to get me on because I was like, what is this Musical.ly? She was obsessed with it. Now it's called TikTok, right? I could have been a TikTok superstar if I would have jumped on early when she, <laughs> when, when she started. But no matter where you are, there are amazing lessons to tap into if you will just lean in and look and listen and observe. You know, I'm not saying don't listen to music because I... Like I said, Drake is my fave, you know, but I'm saying set aside time to learn and to grow and to expand. I think was it um, uh, Steve Jobs, right? That he spent time, I think it was in Japan where he learned how to do call calligraphy. Is that where he, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so he took that like um, aesthetic of beauty and curved lines and he poured that into Apple calligraphy into like the the most i mean arguably one of the most transformative businesses you know in the entire world you know it seems so odd but it's not odd you know what is your calligraphy what are you overlooking and thinking it's nothing but it's literally everything i i love it and 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 i'm you know we're we're running up on time here and this has been fantastic i'm just trying to condense all of your energy into a few the, the simplest takeaways i can for our listeners and i think that boils down to creative vision evolve it. I'm sure your vision is not the same now as it was when you first started. And it probably moved quite a bit 
for several years as you kind of refined it and kind of got going and figured out what's working and what's not. Is that right? Correct. So I would say start with a vision, spend five minutes on it, figure out what you want, and don't be afraid to move it every week for a year. Just keep editing it, revising it, it completely different in a year. Once it stops moving, you're going to be in a really good spot and make daily progress towards it with some mechanism of tracking that. And then pick up a book, read it, pick up another one, read it, listen to a podcast, listen, go and do it again and again and again, and never stop. And you will accumulate mental models across wildly different areas of life and business. And you do not know how they will come together to serve you. But the only way you can do that is get started. That's why we ask, what's your favorite book, finance book every week? I don't care which book you start with. If you're listening, pick one. Start Then do that one. Start with another. If you don't like it, put it down and switch and get to another book. But get just absorb, absorb, absorb for one to four hours per day um, while you're doing your driving or doing your chores or whatever. And after several years, you'll have 10,000 hours of education across a broad variety of subjects. There's no college does not do that. High school does not do that. You just don't. It's just a completely different education. It's it's it's. It's and it's insurmountable. Like there's just no way if you don't do that that you can make decisions on a day to day basis that are the, of the same quality level of as Tiffany. You just can't. You can't do it um, without that. I don't think. And that's and that all stacks into compounding. It's why you're going to do more business this year than you've done in the last nine years of your existence combined. It's because all that is compi- compounding, and the mental models come together in ways that allow for that decision making. That's exponentially better, not just a little bit better at each stage. Yes. Scott, are you a teacher? Did you go to, cause you, that was such a great wrap up. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have a teacher. No, you have a teacher spirit. It's, and it's the reason why you have such a successful podcast, you and Mindy, because this is an extension of just education. And that was such a great, concise roundup. And I have to say, honestly, I have not had an interview like this ever. You, you guys pulled out things that I'm like, I don't even realize I'm doing those things because I just, I've known myself my whole life. So it doesn't seem odd to me. And I'm like, I do do that. That is a really good question. Um, because sometimes you don't even realize like what's adding to your success. And so these are really good questions. I'm going to actually like, literally, I'm like, my my hand is itching for my notebooks so I can write <laughs> these things down. <laughs> I am not going to hold my breath in anticipation of you rounding out the 10 million mark. Um, so I'll be looking out on the lookout for a hundred million uh, in the next <laughs> next 10 years here. But um, before before we get to the famous four, anything you want to say and wrap up here? Um... So what I would say, I know we talked a lot of high level things here. I hope it got you excited and expired because it's meant to. Um, but know that the real work is done, you know, boots to the ground, daily, daily exercising of your ability to learn and to and to put what you learn out there by doing the work. I tell my mentees and stuff all the time, you know, they're always like, Tiffany, what do I have to do? I'm like, the work. You gotta do the work every single day. The work is gonna look different. You know, I don't love every aspect of the work, um, but um, but consistent work leads to consistent results. And I'll I'll share this one thing that my mentor shared with me. She reminded me because I was telling her, like, oh, it's Sometimes I get so overwhelmed now, you know, it seems like just a lot. She's like, the real work is in the reaping, not the sowing. And it sounds opposite. Like, well, no, when you're sowing, you're putting all the plant, you're planting. That's a lot of work. She's like, no, no, no. Planting seeds. Let's just say you're planting corn seeds. Yes, that's a lot of work. But imagine how much more work when you actually have the corn. You've got to cut it down, shuck it, clean it, sell it. So just for know this, that 
what you're doing now, the seed planting that you're doing, it's even more work when you start to reap the harvest of all your hard work. So it's important that you take the time for the sowing because it's going to fortify you with the skill set, the knowledge, the, the capability to make it through the reaping. Like I am, I, the, I can, I, if I could stop now because I've done so much sowing and forever pick, you know, and forever pick. And I, I want that for you, but it starts with day to day sowing. Love it. Well, let's move on to the the famous four here. These are the f- same four questions we ask uh, all of our guests each each week. Mindy, I'll let you kick it off. Well, the, we start off with what is your favorite finance book? My favorite finance book, Smart Women Finish Rich David by David Bach. Bach. Mm-hmm. Love it. What was your biggest money mistake? You probably heard, Ugh, heard this one. Jake the Thief. <laughs> <laughs> giving a random $20,000 from a cash advance on a brand new credit card. (laughs) Whoopsies. If you had not made that mistake, would you be the budget Nista? Would you be Tiffany Alice making uh, a little bit more than you did when you were a preschool teacher? That hundred thousand percent. No, that mistake, that mistake was necessary and pivotal. I wouldn't say thank you to Jake, the thief, but that is, uh, Definitely a a good thing. That yeah, no, I'm, that. I'm 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 no, I'm happy for it, honestly. Because one, better me than someone else, me who had the foundation to to pivot, you know. Um, and then also too, it taught me so many lessons that you just cannot learn from reading a book. You have to live through. So I'm grateful for it. Yeah. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? My best piece of advice for people who are just starting out is to start. Most people never start. They think about it, they read about it, they dream about it, but they don't put pen to pad and to get started. So my best piece of advice, no matter what starting looks like for you, a Google search, a a list made is to start. Love it. And I recommend as a starting point, just that one paragraph, what do I want my life to be like in a few years? Yes. And then just evolve it from there. It's not a, not not an hour or five hour exercise. People overthink this. Um, yes. right. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? Um, I'm less of a joke teller and more like I love to just tell stories about, you know, I'm more of a storyteller, but I I like to share the story of how um, my first financial lesson, how I was four and loved to run water. I wrote about this in, in the book and um, my dad pretended in order to get me to stop that my, the money used to run the water, um, was actually the money he had to use to pay for the ice cream that I used to ask for every week. And once I realized that running water meant that I could not get ice cream, I stopped running water. <laughs> so those are the types of stories I like to tell at parties. Ah, I love it. All right. Where can people find out more about you? So I am the Budgetista on every social media platform, Instagram, TikTok that I don't use, um, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, <laughs> I thebudgetista.com. And yeah, I'm just the Budgetista everywhere, thebudgetista.com and on all your social, your favorite social platforms. Awesome. And you just came out with, with this new book. Can you tell us about where to buy that and when it, when it is released? Yeah. So book comes out March 30th, 2021. So it might be out when you're listening to this already. Woo-hoo. Yep, so the book is already um, out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, you can purchase it at getgoodwithmoney.com. I created a toolkit 
that's free that comes along with the book with all of the downloadables from the book. And even if you don't get the book, you could still go get that toolkit, although it might not make sense without the book. Um, yeah, Get Good With Money, 10 Simple Steps to Becoming Financially Whole. I can't wait to see you on the other side of your financial journey after you've built this amazing financial foundation so you can create the rest of your financial house. Awesome. Love it. We'll, we will link to all of that in the show notes, all, all of the places you can find, or, or as many as we can think of uh, to find Tiffany uh, <laughs> online um, and, and, and uh, you know, your website, your book, all those, all those kind of good things, social media. And uh, those will be at biggerpockets.com slash money show 187. Um, if you can't remember all of those links, they'll I'll be there for you. <laughs> Tiffany, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so excited for your book. I'm so excited just to have an hour to, to listen to you because your uh, excitement is infectious. And now I'm excited to go do all the things as well. No, thank you. I appreciate that. My um, my um, my uh, agent, Heather, said the other day that I was her cup, cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try having She's a like, cup of coffee to and listening to Tiffany. That's, that was my morning. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> so you're super buzzed, yeah. right, Scott? No, honestly, thank you guys. You guys have always been awesome, inviting me back over and over. And so it's a privilege and a pleasure. So thank you. Well, we're grateful to have you back. Uh, it's always a wonderful time interviewing you and a lot of energy, a lot of passion, a lot of insight. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Yep. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Tiffany. And I'm super excited for your book. Good luck with the sales that I know will just crush it. <laughs> thank you. Okay, Scott. Whew, I got to take a breath. What did you think of the show? I think that my, I look like Robert De Niro and my future self, I'm going to name Robert uh, according to her thing. And that way I can say, I'm talking to me. That's not the last time I'm going to use that joke. Okay. I'm, I'm thrilled with that. I think, I think it was a great episode. I think, I think Tiffany was, was fantastic. I think she brought the energy. I think she loves everything about what she does. I think she has some big visions. I think that the great thing about this world we live in, this this uh, uh, capitalism, I guess, is that by her going big and going after her goal, she's the only way she can get there is by helping hundreds of thousands of women um, be successful along the way with her group there. Check. So. She's already done that and she's just continuing on. One of my biggest takeaways from this is that she has not stopped learning. Even after reaching the level of success that she has attained, she's still learning and pursuing more. She called it soft education. And she said she does one to four hours a day. That's insane. That's amazing. And I really need to step up my soft education because I'm not getting in one to four hours right now. Um, I also love her marketing ideas. They're super outside the box, but not obnoxious and over the top. She just looks at things differently. So if you want to be like Tiffany, who is an overnight success in just 10 short years, you will have to continue to learn and grow and think outside the box. And that's so cliche, but it's also super true. You can't do the things that everybody else does and expect to have different results. And she doesn't do anything that anybody else is doing. And she has crushed it, absolutely crushed it in her professional career her entrepreneurship just by thinking slightly outside the box. Yeah. So if you want an actionable step here that I guarantee will lead you to success, write down a vision, go, go to bigger pockets, 
Google.com slash moneyshow187. And you'll see a template there. You don't have to use mine. You can Google it. There's probably way better goal setting templates. It's just one word set of Word documents that outline what I do every day for my goal setting. You can just download them there and check them out. Um, and then write a vision and work towards it every single day. On, on top of that, invest uh, a, a one to four hours every single day in learning. And I guarantee you within five to 10 years, something good will happen um, on that. So there you go. That's a simple advice for today <laughs> for the actionable takeaway that you could do. But ser- like, okay, yeah, like I say that tongue in cheek, but that's what I've been doing for the last seven years of my life. And I believe it's really worked for me. And I think, and you can see what it's done, it's, what it's doing for Tiffany. And it, and it does for a lot of people with that that simple philosophy about constant learning and, and just taking a few actions concretely every day towards your goals. And, you know, I miss a day here and there. It's not like, it's not like every day, but it's, it's, it's almost every day that I'm doing this. And that that's where it comes from. You don't make a million dollars a minute by sitting on the couch watching TV. I would like that job. You can do that as long as you spent five minutes doing something that moves you towards your goal. Like that email that needed to go out today, that advances your timeline on that next deal by five weeks because you just never got around to sending the five, like just do that and then watch TV for a few hours. (laughs) Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm getting going. Yes. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. We appreciate you. We hope you liked this episode. And um, if you made it this far, uh, best of luck to you. From episode 187 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying peace out, Rainbow Trout. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.